Hello there! This show contains material which a truly free society would neither fear nor suppress. The language and concepts contained herein will not cause eternal torment in the place where the guy with the horns and pointed stick conducts his business. And we're back. We yes. are back. Yes, we are. What's going on in the in the great state of Michigan? Well, it's uh, it's strangely cold today. It's like sixty outside and 60. kind of light rain, and it's but it's like eighty five or ninety in here because of the way the house is shaped to uh, you know move all the heat right into my studio upstairs. But, uh, yeah, yeah. It's like the house I grew up in. You know, it was an older house, so the second floor in the summer was always five to ten degrees hotter than the first floor. You know, they they just didn't know how to build the houses back then. Modern mm-hmm. houses it just that doesn't seem to happen as much. But well, I mean, we this heat wave, a, the Vatican, the the Vatican. We got to get the attic vented a little better here, or the Vatican entered. I don't know. The Vatican entered. Yeah. yeah, but this has been the hottest July, uh, according to NOAA, the hottest July in the history of the United States of America. Like one. Point two degrees hotter on average, or something. I mean, it was ridiculous. That's um, a big number. It it's doesn't huge. sound big, but it's big. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I've seen the climate deniers, the the kind of religious nut, nutters who homeschool their kids. Their argument against <laughs> why global warming doesn't matter, even if it's happening, they they still say, "But it doesn't matter because the Earth is only cooled one degree." Well, one degree is huge. You know, they don't. They're not. They don't understand. What if you live in a world where? Um, you don't have heat and it's constantly 34 degrees out. You know, you can drink the water, but what if it shifted two degrees? Ooh, it doesn't seem like much, right. but then the water is inaccessible because it's, I mean, right. they just, they just don't get it. And, uh, or all, it's, it's or all your crops that used to grow on your farms now grow 30, a hundred miles South, you know? Yeah. One degree or two degrees is massive, but, but Noah also did say that it was cooler in other parts of the world. So, you know, there, there's obviously a lot of complex complexity in the weather patterns and there's all kinds of crap going on but uh it is and I, I don't think now like the the weathermen we grew up with and all that the forecasters they know how it usually behaves because it's been in these patterns for decades and decades as long as their careers have lasted right but it's changing now and i so it seems like they their predictions aren't quite so uh, valuable because they don't quite know what's happening. Well, the the one thing their predictions have said is that it's going to be more chaotic the weather and harder to predict. <laughs> I mean, exactly. That's what the weather models, the computer, the computer simulations are saying. But uh, you know, yeah. really briefly, I last week we played a, a Matt Schwartzer tune, and I said I couldn't remember his record name, and that was uh, the the name of that album is In the Offing. Or off in the, the inning. Offing. Yeah, in the oh. offing. I don't, I don't know what that means. What does that mean, Matt? Oh, Matt's not here. I guess we can't <laughs> ask him. You know what else I forgot to, to, to mention uh, a couple weeks ago was after one of the songs I went, oh, yeah, doesn't that feel <laughs> good? Well, that's from Spinal Tap. Um, Spinal Tap was visiting a city to play a concert, and the, the local radio station busted out one of their old tunes, Cups and Cakes. Oh, that's where that came from. Yeah, so they played this very Beatles-esque Cups and Cakes song that had a piccolo trumpet solo in it, taken right from the Beatles. It's a really funny song, yeah. Yeah, and, and then when it ended, the FM DJ went, 
Oh yeah, doesn't that feel good? Going all the way back to the Tinsman, 1964. And then he says, and they're in town supposedly to play a concert that night. And then the DJ goes on to say, later changing your name to Spinal Tap, currently in the Where Are They Now file. You know, And they're supposed <laughs> to be doing a gig in that town, you know. Years yeah. ago when I was a kid living at home on our... Uh, on our outgoing answering machine, you know, beep. And I went, oh, yeah, doesn't that feel good? And I didn't realize how sexual that would sound. <laughs> I, to, to my I was, brain. You know, I'm just rolling with it. I'm like, well, what's he doing in his studio? I have no idea. <laughs> but, but, you know, I mean, to me, that was just a quote from Spinal Tap. But when my parents oh, okay. heard it, I'm okay. sure they thought of all kinds of like, what would pe- <laughs> what are people going to think when they hear this? And uh, yeah, so so that was pretty funny, but uh, that was a great movie. You've seen Spinal Tap, yeah? I I've seen it more than once, but I I'm sorry I didn't catch the the reference off. Well, off I'm the sure cuff there. most people you know didn't get it. It's a it's a weird, stupid little Spinal Tap reference, but uh, yeah. So hey, I think it's that time of the show for. A serious Olympic update. We were, you know, we had a little fun with it last week, and uh, yeah, you know, but there's I, been a, we've we've both seen some events, we've watched some stuff on TV, we've been moved and inspired by it. Yeah, I yeah. Think it's so time it's again. it's time for the Olympic update. Have you been maintaining the tape deck or what? I thought I thought you were cleaning the tape heads. I thought you were. What do you mean you thought I was cleaning the tape heads? Oh. I thought you were going to clean the tape heads. Was, was that thing even grounded? What are you doing over there? Do you have a fire extinguisher in here somewhere? I don't have a fire extinguisher. Who the hell has a fire extinguisher anymore? That's going to leave a mark. Oh, man. I think I got some shrapnel in my cranium. Oh, man. That's going to be expensive to fix. That's coming out of your paycheck. Oh, thanks. Great. Let's let's play a song. Yeah, I fuck this Olympic update stuff. It just never seems to work out right. So uh, we'll jump into a tune by uh, oh by Big Green. We haven't played them in a while. So uh, let's check this out. Excellent. So the bishop has replaced you With some tuber off the shelf Seems your talents are to be wasted I never thought they'd do that right out the window and then he thought of forgiveness leave your scholarship in limbo I never thought Pretend to I never thought they ain't 
never thought they were very serious Your successor is defensive And his spring is tightly wound They really think he can replace you to see all the millionaires sing I never thought they would I never thought they were very serious song called The Bishop by Big Green. And uh, many years ago, three or four years ago, we had Joe Perry from Big Green on our podcast. So, Paul, you, Wasn't you he probably haven't heard Journey? that. Oh, Steve Perry. Never mind. Well, no, his name is Joe Perry, like the Aerosmith okay. guitar player. And his, the other brother in the band is named Matthew Perry, kind of like the guy in Friends. They have like the all-celebrity naming very, family very thing. Very confusing. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and they are musicians, too. They're really funny. They, they write a lot of comedy music and uh, very political music. I actually, uh, well, what do, what do you think? What do you think of that song? I know you were a little uh, I, confused by the lyrics. I am a little con- well. I was a little confused by the lyrics. I, uh, I I I love the music and the singing. I think it's it's a little bit um, like some kind of an old Bowie folk song or something. Mm. It's a little uh, sort of a British style, you know, almost like a like a madrigal or like a acapella singing or something, you know. Yeah, and I think but, they're uh, going for that vibe. You know, there are times yeah. when they sing with a British accent, which normally when British people sing, you don't hear their accent. So you know, it's being done on purpose. Right. They they like to have fun with it. They do voices. And they're like a weird low tech Monty Python. They're really weird. Yeah, enough. yeah. It's it seems it seems a little bit that way. And there was a con- there was some kind of concept behind it too. And I know you uh, you asked him and got a, an email back about uh, like a, a cleric being being uh, tossed out on false pretenses or something like that. So. Yeah, Matt emailed me back and said uh, it's it's based on something in real life. He doesn't remember all the details too great, but it has to do with a bishop trying to accusing a lower priest of some mysterious wrongdoings because he wanted him out of the church for political reasons, you know. So mm-hmm. he just dredged up some charges to get him out, and I guess it was real. But he said he'd have to search through his discarded notebooks to, to find what, <laughs> what it all really meant. But they're just a lot of fun. You know, I, I yeah. was saying I had we had Joe Perry on the podcast uh, three or four years ago when John and I were doing it, and you can listen to that one if you want. Um, he's a local musician. He plays in a wedding cover band that's very popular. You know, they get booked for a lot of weddings. But Maybe you could dig up the number and put it in the show notes so we can find it. 
Yeah, and I guess I must have inspired him a little bit because about a year ago, the Big Green guys started doing their own podcast. So, you know, it's it's funny because after he did the podcast, I, I remember talking to him about it. He's a musician, a pianist. He's been playing in front of hundreds and maybe thousands of people at a time, and he was really nervous to do the podcast. So I was really, you know, and I asked him, I said, what do you mean? You play in front of hundreds of people all the time? Right, he, right. he said, well, it's different. Well, okay, it's in your head, and it's different. That's cool. It is different. I guess that's true. You know, I got really used to, to being on a radio station so I could go on the air and talk and not feel uh, at all nervous but if you get up in front of people for me that's a lot different yeah that it is different and if you listen to our podcast number beta point one you will hear me encouraging with hand signals John to speak because I was afraid to speak in the first podcast because I'm normally on the other <laughs> side of the glass you know yeah. But yeah. yeah, those so now they're doing their own podcast and that's what I meant by like this low tech Monty Python thing. They do these rehearsed comedy sketches, they play original music on the show live, they play some of their oh, tunes. Cool. Um they're out of their minds. I mean, they're really clever, I, really fun that guys. That sounds great. I well, I'll have to check that out cuz I I would uh I've done some kind of improvised sketches here and there like uh, bits and pieces with uh with uh, Sherwin Sleeves on his uh, radio show, on his streaming show yeah. that's also a podcast. But I'd like to do more than that. Not to be thing, confused so. with Sherwin Williams, the paint Sherwin company. Williams, right. Uh, no, big no. Green, big-green.net is their website, and you can listen to some music, probably download some of their tunes. You can download the podcast from there. They do encode their podcast at 256 kilobits, which is a little overkill, you know, and makes for these, you know, impossibly big large files. files. Yeah. I do ours at 128, and it sounds fine in my ears. But uh, great guys and actually i'm going to try to encourage them to get together and play at our music festival next summer which would be going on right around now a year from now in fact jeremy uh, shaw who we've played some of the neptune ensemble music one of you know he's the guy who wrote our theme song he used to jam with them mm. and uh, so he'll probably be jamming with them on stage in fact when we when when jeremy did his record he wrote all the notes the liner notes and it thanked me and everybody else and it said special thanks to the guys at big green and i never got it back then but now i get oh, it oh cool yeah so, so he, all he these, played all, with them. all these accents people are kind of connected in yeah, your uh, there's a in weird world here. synchronicity yeah. to this it's it is odd but uh great stuff and we have more from them in the future but uh so big news man we landed yeah. on mars on freaking mars and to me, uh, this is you know part of what I live for. I, I know I've talked about this on a podcast in the past, but my dad worked at a you know a military type contractor. You know they do they make all the high tech parts that go in airplanes and fighter planes and commercial aircraft too, as well as things for NASA. You know my my dad in the '60s touched things that went on the Apollo spacecraft. You know that went to the Very moon. Cool. And, yeah, so he was always yeah. my dad is a geek. He just doesn't know it. He liked sci fi movies when he was a kid. So. <laughs> So he, he got us always interested in science and, you know, if they were building something where he worked, it was called Bendix back then. Um, if he if he had some, or knew of some knowledge that they were making something that was flying on a space mission or something, he would tell us about it. So I, I've just, in, you know, and of course, being a, an Aspie, I'm always geek oriented anyway. But yeah, this is the kind of thing I live for. And I mean, I don't it's know how cool. you're very into cool. it. I don't know how big th- it is for you. But for me, I mean, I follow I, these things as closely as I possibly can. And I always have. I was, you know, when I was less busy, when I didn't have five kids, when I was younger, I would be reading uh, everything I could about the technology of the lander and all that. And I'd have a map of Mars on my wall and whatnot, you know, and be studying it. But and I didn't really get to do any of that. But uh, I was excited and interested enough with it to stay up and watch 
uh, and listen to the live stream from NASA. And I, I will freely admit I I was, you know, had chills during the last few minutes and, you know, when it finally uh, mm-hmm. landed and everyone in, in uh, Mission Control was jumping around, screaming and hugging each other. I, I, I got something in my eye, man. Like dust? <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was a mar- little bit of Martian dust, I think. Girly man. <laughs> yeah. No, it was it was beautiful. I was. I, I got I, a little. Um, I got some goosebumps I, going. Definitely. I am. You know. I, I won't say that I I regret being slightly skeptical because uh, you know if you look at the uh, the record of the probes. Oh, how don't many even of them have go failed. there. Your wife In said that way, the sample size is too small to draw right, any right. real The sample size is too small. But I, I honestly, I did it because I did not want to get incredibly geeked about it and just be bummed out for days, you know. Well, a but, couple uh, shows ago, you were talking about the audaciousness of the way we're doing it. And I'm like, no matter how you do it, it's audacious. Yeah, I mean, there's, yeah, there's no way around that. I mean, to quote uh, a bunch of movies like Apollo 13 and Capricorn 1, all these movies about the space program, you know, there's nothing routine about flying in space. No, It's no. all hard. No. You know? No, it's 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 not routine, but you know it, it was. I mean, you got to admit though, it it just the the sky crane and all that. It just you know there's there's great reasons for it. It makes a lot of sense exactly why they did it, and obviously it worked. But when I watched the animated video describing how this was going to go down, I was my jaw was hanging open. I'm like, really? <laughs> well, yeah, I remember we talked about that. But I mean, really, yeah, they're only yeah. adding one step to the way the right. Vikings landed. That those those you know, landed with they, rockets on them. With, they came uh, down on rockets. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. we were still coming down on rockets. The only difference was they lowered it on four tethers so that the dust, you know, wouldn't uh, get on the craft and wouldn't upset the, mm-hmm. I guess these are a little, you know, this craft has uh, 17 cameras on it or something. So, yeah. you know, they just want to keep That's, it as clean as possible. That, I mean, the other thing to remind myself of, although this isn't just an absolute simple thing, is that, you know, the technology keeps getting better and better. Now, does that really mean that the odds of the, making the mission survivable are better or that they'll uh, they'll just add more complexity to it? You know, well, it's a little of both, you know, because uh, computers yeah. and whatnot are a lot more reliable and we can do a lot more computation but when you think about the thing steering itself and you know hurtling through the atmosphere to decelerate and all that it's it's and then having to all the flyby wire stuff that was going on three and a half million lines of c code that's what impresses me yeah as I a mean, software engineer that that stuff because you know i write c and c plus plus among other things for a living and uh, i know just how hard it is to make bug-free code that that uh, will withstand you know any real-world well, condition it comes across. But beyond that, they don't have really the computing resources that you and I have on our desktop. They have to use hardened CPUs, radiation-hardened yeah, CPUs, yeah. And, you know, and low-power CPUs. It's a power PC like a G3. Yeah, it's about the equivalent of a Macintosh G3. From how many so years it, ago? From fifteen well, from, years ago. No, when was the G3? Of ninety ninety five. Yeah. So I mean, in terms of the raw computing power, they they don't have as much. Yeah, but it's not. Um, well, you know, there it's it always amazes me how we manage to use up these cycles on these modern processors. And well, it, you it know, doesn't because uh, we keep adding, me at all. <laughs> we keep adding crap to it, like you know. 
It's not uh, pushing a high frame rate on Quake or something like that. Well, we we always try for more. We want to run a million applications at once, but there are a bare minimum number of systems that have to work on that craft. So there there has to be enough clock cycles to be able to do what it did. I mean, when they landed on the moon with uh, Neil Armstrong, they ran out of clock cycles. They had what was called a 1202 and a 1201 computer alarm. Basically, uh-huh. the, there was too much data for the computer to process, and it couldn't process it, you know? Yeah. And it yeah. almost caused them to, say, abort and abort the landing. But they were able to reset and, and get going again. But, yeah. Mm. But, I mean, I remember, I don't know how long ago this was, but the Pentium had long been in production, probably up to the Pentium 3 or the Pentium 4. And I read on Space.com or something how the big news was that they finally radiation hardened the 386. You know? uh-huh, right, <laughs> and that was right. so many generations behind, you know. Right. But, yeah, yeah. I mean, they've got to deal with things called bit flip where some errant radiation mm-hmm. can actually change yeah. a low to a high in the CPU, you know. They actually have to guard for some of that same kind of effect in software for something as mundane as car radios. Yeah. Due to not not due to, you know, cosmic rays, but due to electrical noise in in a car. Yeah, the and ignition I've wor- worked system on some code like that, but it's yeah. uh, the main thing is it's not running a it's not running Windows, you know, it's not running a general purpose OS. It's not running Mac OS or even Linux. It's running a an RTOS, a real-time OS where you can schedule these tests that are guaranteed certain slices of time to finish. Right. Yeah, and they've obviously it has to be bug-free and these guys they put a lot of time and effort into that code and i mean it's just an amazing amazing accomplishment you know it's it it boggles my mind and the pictures are starting to to float down now and i mean i know you were on a youtube page where they were uh joking about where not joking apparently somebody was serious about a couple people yeah a couple people commented and say this is so fake how come there's no video and, of the landing. And Paul interpreted that as like somebody being on the ground filming it. And, you know, my snarky reply to Paul was, well, there will be some video of it landing. Actually, Don't worry. Yeah, you were, you were right. I, they were – what they were getting at was, you know, like uh, – what did they say? We have video of a, of fi- the have, moon uh, landing. So. Of the moon landing 50 years ago, and we can't have – video of this they're basically you know it's a troll but well, but i didn't claiming. even know what they meant yeah we have we do yeah, have we video of the moon exactly landing and meant. it was cameras mounted inside the craft looking right. out the window or when armstrong landed on the moon it was a camera outside the craft that was on a spring loaded arm and when armstrong was about to go down the ladder he pulled this little cable with a ring on the end that he could put uh-huh. his finger through and that was like a mo- it's a motion picture camera well yeah. that, well right but that the, pulling that lever um, did two things. It made the spring push the arm down, so now it was jutted outside of the spacecraft, aimed exactly at the hatch, and then it activated uh-huh. the video to go uh-huh. back to Earth. And um, was it actually video or was it film? Uh, that was video being broadcast to the Earth uh, okay. live. Yeah, and uh, yeah. yeah. Oh, all right, that's a dumb question. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, and but video tech. I mean, video cameras were pl- were pretty uh, primitive. Back yeah, then. and then they had to um in fact just a couple of years ago some uh like you know industrial light and magic type place finally cleaned up the original like the first generation copy of that is all gone apparently lost it so we've had mm-hmm. uh NASA lost it so we have um yeah. all these like second or third generation copies and nothing really good so they finally sent it to a really high tech place to clean it up and it's there's some contrast in it again now you know you can you can kind of yeah. see things a lot better which which was kind of cool but 
I mean, I, I I just can't wait. They're they're about to send down the high res images one frame at a time of the descent video, which the the cameras underneath the rover looking down. Uh, yeah, so filmed. technically there is a video of the descent, but it wasn't a shot at like, you know, 24 frames a second or whatnot. It was, what, every few seconds, every four seconds or so there was a frame yeah, taken? Yeah, yeah. It's a very slow oh. frame rate, and um, yeah. they released the low-res 64 by 64 thumbnail version of the of the video, but the high-res version is coming down one frame at a time, and they, they teased us by showing us the frame, the first frame, when, when it was going slow enough and heat was no longer a danger to the craft, they could eject the heat shield blew, and blew that, off the heat shield yeah, yeah. That, then they were free for the downward pointing cameras on the bottom of the rover were free to 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 film a frame at a time or a frame a second or whatever that frame that's, rate is I don't that's even really know. cool i guess the idea is that the the bandwidth they have back to earth they're i think they're like relaying off uh the mars is it which, which one the mars reconnaissance, reconnaissance orbiter or odyssey yeah, yeah we have two things uh, Okay, so they relay data off of there, but the total bandwidth they've got when they have it is pretty low. Yeah. yeah. So so when they take a picture, they'll send like a thumbnail. It'll send a thumbnail version that doesn't use very much data. And then as it's able to, it'll like uh, it'll pick up the connection and send the high resolution version later. They've sent down uh, the first wide field panorama, and they also have a, a, a one of those stereoscopic 3D versions of that with the red and the green. You know the way 3D movies oh, used yeah. to be years That's ago. That's why you were asking if anyone had a had a 3D a, glasses um, on Facebook. 3D glasses. Yeah. Well, they've I been doing. I those. don't have any. They've been doing those stereoscopic images since Pathfinder, um, and I mm-hmm. have yet to see one of them. It's 1994 is when Pathfinder landed, <laughs> and I have I cannot I I don't think you know. Then suddenly the Mars mission kind of becomes it's out of the spotlight, so I'm not thinking about it. But then we go and right. land another one, and there's these stereoscopic images coming down, and I say, "Geez, I got to get me some of them 3D glasses," and I never remember <laughs> to do it. Back Those when, modern high-tech 3D glasses with right. the red and the green lenses. Well, I'll tell yeah. you what. I remember when Pathfinder took their stereoscopic high-res 360-degree panorama. Yeah, that, that was impressive. Well, what they ended up doing at JPL was they have this printer that can print six feet wide. And what mm. they ended up doing was – so the, the the height of this was six feet, but the width with the panorama was like 24 feet. So they And it took like 18 hours for this printer to spit this huge image out. In cool. with all of this 3D information in it, and it's actually on the wall somewhere at JPL. And I'm told if you stand in front of that, you know, with your with your 3D with glasses, your glasses on, it's, on, yeah, it's spectacular. You're there. I mean, it's like cool. life size, you know. And I, what would be even cooler would be to be on the inside of a circle and wrap that around the inside of a circle, so you're really seeing the 360 panorama. So it's a 3D. It's a 3D panorama. You can look all. You can look all the way around the horizon. Yeah, they do it as a That's rectangular image, but if you bent it back in on itself, you know the edges would connect. You know, it's just mm-hmm. just spectacular. And I, I may have mentioned this on another podcast too, but I used to have Mar- uh, Manning, Rob Manning's email. Back when mm. Pathfinder, he was the project director for Pathfinder, and back when Pathfinder landed, you know, the internet was new. It was 1994, and, you know, nobody knew what finger servers were unless you were a bit more of an oh, old right, school. Right. And NASA was still running their finger servers, so, and I knew that Manning worked, and I knew all of JPL's domains you, and subdomains. You could, you could check out his dot .plan file, is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. So, basically, I said finger manning at jpl.nasa.gov, and it spit out his office, his phone number, his email 
email address, his office nice. number, like like you know what what it says on the door, like office number twenty one or whatever. And I emailed him, yeah. and and we actually got had a very very friendly conversation. And he, I mean, he told me about his personal life and how stressful JPL can be, and he had a heart attack uh-huh. from it in his thirties. And but I lost oh, his email address because I got a million questions I want to ask him. And of course, finger uh-huh. servers are long disabled. You know. That, yeah, I think that was probably one of the first things. You know, when these. Uh, um, these organizations got IT departments uh, starting to sniff on their network and look at security. That was probably one of the first things to Yeah, they were satellite. very insecure, both from uh, being able to root the machine perspective and because they gave away mm-hmm. all sorts of information that people might not have for, wanted given away right. outside for, of for the... For, like, social hacking. Yeah. yeah, so exactly the way Jim Rockford used to do it, social hacking. So, in fact, um, I actually started collecting astronauts' autographs. Uh, current. Well, I collect all astronauts' autographs, but I started collecting shuttle astronaut autographs by fingering the server at Johnson Space Center, which is in Texas, where, where all of their offices are. So that was JSC, Johnson Space and Center. Just, and you just ask? So I would just, just start firing off emails to all these astronauts and uh, Shannon Lucid was became a, a rock star. She was the woman who spent more time on Mir, the Russian space station, like uh-huh. than anybody. And so she was like a rock star woman astronaut. She had assistants, and I fired off right. an email to her asking for her autograph, and she was just mortified. How did you get my email address? Oh my God, you're a hacker! I said, No, you know this is public information available on the NASA servers. Don't yell at me. And finally, she she forwarded my email to her assistant and sent me off an autograph. And she did. Not, yeah, but I've got dozens uh, of uh, astronauts' autographs, you know, by fingering well, them. That's, that's, that's the old really joke. That's really cool. You remember the that's old really joke? Cool. You know, I fingered you, <laughs> the Unix. <laughs> yeah, I, I fingered this girl today on, you know, with the Unix command. It's kind of <laughs> creepy, but that's that's what it was that called. That was the closest that most of the Unix geeks ever got to fingering a girl, <laughs> that's, I think. That's probably, you used to be able to finger Coke machines to see what the, uh, ca- how many sodas oh, they yeah. had in there. MIT yeah. had a, a networked Coke machine that you could finger. Yeah. Yep. Uh, yeah. Great stuff, but anyway, we're we're way off topic here. Did but, you um, see oh, there? There was one image I want to call out, which uh, it's it wasn't a 3D or panorama, I don't think, but uh, was it sunset or sunrise? I did see the sunset image today. I, I saw a Sun- bunch of people linked it up on Facebook, so I saw the little thumbnails of it, and I finally clicked on one. And there's a very spectacular image of the sun setting over yeah. Sharp Mountain. I think that's what that's called. Yeah, Mount yeah. Sharpie. The sun- or sunset was gorgeous, and it's interesting because there's so little atmosphere. It's not a huge flare. It's this. It looks like a tiny thing, you know. It, it's right at sunset, and I guess they use that image. They're using that image actually to do science. It's not just pretty. They're trying to determine uh, how much and what types of dust are hovering in the atmosphere because I guess Mars has a really, like, despite the really thin atmosphere, it has a long sort of twilight because the dust refracts a lot of light over the horizon. Yeah, well, yeah. Okay, I could see that. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, they're going to ex- extract as much scientific information out of everything, you know, that they can. I mean, it's, you know, mm-hmm. they spent $2.5 billion. I mean, and you contrast that with Pathfinder, the one that went in 94, that was $250 yeah. million. $250 yeah. million. Yeah. This is an order of magnitude larger. That was... The path those were that was part of the faster, better, cheaper program. That's exactly what it was, and it worked. Usually, they say pick two, (laughs) faster, better, cheaper. Right, but they managed to to nail that one. But they didn't all all the not all the probes they sent under faster, better, cheaper worked. 
No, the Polar Lander. And speaking of the Polar Lander, one of the reasons I'd love to email Rob Manning and find his email address again, and I've searched and you can't, (laughs) um, is because back when- You'd have to go through his publicist or something. Yeah, these guys are pretty big rock stars now. And uh, I could take some guesses at it because I kind of remember what it was. But- um, Back in the the days of the Mars Polar Lander that failed, they actually sent something called the Mars Microphone to Mars because they believe you'll be, even though their atmosphere is one one hundredth as dense as ours, they think you'll still be able to hear sounds with a semi-normal, you know, microphone. And that yeah, they might have to filter them somehow to try and correct for like how your ear would hear it if it yeah, was in well, a normal atmosphere. Well, that's all good, but, you know, and I'll be happy yeah. to help them. But that mission failed, so the microphone, you know, is in pieces or whatever on Mars, but they had extra examples of the hardware. They built other ones, mm-hmm. and I've been waiting for them to refly this microphone, and I, I was very disappointed that they didn't put it in the Curiosity rover because it's gigantic. There's got to be room for it in there. Right, right. Um, It's and, not a very big part. Yeah, yeah, and how much can it weigh? And it probably has a very low energy fingerprint, but uh, the good news mm-hmm. is they're going to reconfigure these microphones a little bit and I guess some of the ESA, the European Space Agency, is going to fly them in some some Mars landers that are going to be flying between 2014 and 2019. So I mean, not that long. Not that long. I mean, as an now. audio guy, you have to be interested in at least yeah, yeah. what it no, may am, sound because, like on Mars, you know? Well, you know, also I'm envisioning like, you know, the remix possibilities. Yeah. Techno, you know, Martian techno <laughs> could be a thing. <laughs> it's probably going to be a lot of wind. Well, yeah, we, we might hear wind noise. We might hear dust storms, dust particles. We might hear little uh, sand slides like landslides. I don't or know. you uh, may it, hear, this is my Illudium P36. <laughs> exactly. well, what did he call it? Illudium P36 S- space, space modulator. Space modulator. Yeah, you, you may anyway. hear that, and wouldn't it be funny if we did? <laughs> I, I was joking that we'd hear, shh, no, no, it's okay, it's okay. They, they can't see us from be, from back here. You're making me very <laughs> angry. <laughs> and then and then a big green guy says, you wouldn't like me when I'm angry. But the- <laughs> Looking at the sunset on Mars, though, it did... Uh, it did bring up a question because briefly I sort of was transported out of my head and imagining myself standing on Mars watching the sunset. And Me this too, topic exactly. Is back, is back in the news again. And the topic is, you know, some people and some companies, I think, are proposing a one-way mission, a one-way human mission. Yeah, I mean, I, those have been proposed on and off for, for some time, including on the moon. You know, they've been talking about uh, sending an astronaut up there with enough stuff so he can live, and eventually we'll be able to get there and bring him home. You know, that that would have been the plan. We'll, we'll, send, him, we'll, send, a, we'll send, like, Bear Grylls or the, the, the camp, the guy, that Canadian guy yeah. who does those camping shows where he goes out in the wilderness, you know? Well, you that know, would be a hell of a lot easier than to get a... a like a habitat to the moon and back than it would from Mars. And, but well, well yeah. is that true? It's like once you're out of the once you're out of the gravity well, that's the real energy cost, right? Yeah, once you yeah, then you coast, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. but it is a little bit more problematic with Mars. But I mean, I want to go to Mars just because we've already been to the moon. Yes, there's more science to be done on the moon, but let's do both. How about that? And, yeah, you know, and I got in an both. argument just two days, not a real argument, but a Facebook, you got to be kidding me type argument and email. You know, one of my, <laughs> one of, one of the, the woman who actually does the festival with me, Jeremy's mom was an like, argument well, on Facebook. I well, can she hardly was, believe no, it. but it was an email, but she was like, yeah, I don't know. We need the classic liberal argument. You know what they're going to say. We need to be spending this money back home. Oh yeah. Because 
because the government's going to take that two and a half billion dollars and give it to the poor people, right? Exactly. They're not going to yeah. feed it through some bullshit tax, you know, uh, breaks to the billionaires <laughs> of the world. They're going to give it to the poor it's, people and, and offset hunger in the in the world. It's a job creation program. Do you know how many different people worked on that uh, that program? That's well, a lot. It's, I mean, it depends on how far you want how far you want to extend the tentacles too. You know. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, I sent you a link uh, earlier, but there's a there's a company that makes bicycles and they used to be called Lightspeed and I have a Lightspeed mm-hmm. bike frame and they helped make the landing very legs. nice frames I used to I used to drool over them I, I don't I have a steel frame but I did like oh wow that would be neat if I could afford a $4,000 titanium bike frame yeah but they helped make the landing legs they did some of the engineering and and this really shouldn't come as any surprise to anybody because a lot of these high-tech companies that make bike parts that do CNC machining a lot of these guys uh-huh. came out of the aerospace industry when all of that stuff got downsized, you know? So they brought their skills somewhere else. Yeah, there's not that many companies that have the the skill, the people at the companies to have the skills to do that kind of thing. Don't you have to weld under argon or something like that? Well, it's, uh, I, I don't know what exotic. you weld with. I mean, the welds on my frame are gorgeous, and it's thin walled yeah. titanium. It's really easy to burn through, you know, yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. And, I, think, and, and, I think you have to do it under a, an arg, like an argon atmosphere. Well, I'll it's, ask my dad. He'll know because they do all of that welding where he works, including electron beam welding and, you know, MIG TIG, oh, wow. the, the whole nine yards. They do everything where he works. But uh, but anyway, you, you want to jump into another tune? I want to ask you one quick question beforehand. So you don't want to jump into another tune? <laughs> okay, go ahead. What's the, your question? The one quick question is... Uh, 42. Would you... Uh, would you take that uh, one-way ride? Mm, probably not. Uh, as much as I hate my life and I'm waiting for a lightning <laughs> bolt to strike me down and kill me, um, I don't know. I'd have to think about it a little longer. You know, Maybe if I could bring my cat. I don't know. You bring know. your cat. Yeah. All right. Let's play a tune. All right. This is another one by Keith Spears. So uh, let's check it out.
Never mind. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> so was that Martian techno? It might have been Martian techno. Maybe he was uh, receiving alien, alien some voices. signals yeah. or something. That was called Worm by Keith Spears from his, uh, what is this record called? 49N15E record. and uh, his, Very memorable oh, title. And this is a, a much more danceable up up tempo kind of thing it is it's a nice song i i liked this and i liked the last song i'd li- it makes me want to put the whole album on my headphones when i kind of want to zone out you well know? he may actually have a podcast if you go to his his website undercrypt.com he may have actually broadcast all of these on his own podcast but yeah oh, the record cool. is meant to be played as a, a a suite of songs that get played one after another because a lot of songs lead into another song mm-hmm. with those voices 
got some similar elements, yeah. But it, so yeah, you're right, we're losing some of the context, uh-huh. but the, it's a very, very strong concept album. I mastered this, by the way, for those who didn't hear me say that the last time. And uh, <laughs> there's one more tune that's really fun that we're going to get to uh, a few weeks uh, a few weeks from now. But uh, anyway, I, I think that's a show. It sounds like a show. I'm ready. I'm ready to see more uh, more movies from Mars. I'm re- I am totally ready for that movie, man. I mean, and they better get that down as quickly as they can because the PR alternatives uh, choice, you know, the PR for that is phenomenal. But anyway, check us out on the web, www.bloodyveg.com. Send us feedback, feedback at bloodyveg.com. Leave us some voicemail, please. Anyone, 206-376-0397. And I uh, guess we'll see you next time. Bye. Take care, everybody.